Welcome to episode six with my first guest, actress and filmmaker, Tucky Williams. This is also my first disclaimer. What this young woman says is so powerful and moving at the end. I'm leaving it with just her words. No conclusion and thanks for listening. What she says is that powerful. Tucky Williams started college at 15 years of age. She holds multiple degrees in meteorology and journalism. She's an actress, director, producer, writer, but don't call her a weather girl. You'll find out later in this episode. I chose Tucky for her recent battle with retail and streaming god Amazon over her feature film Girl Girl Scene, which is a feature-length adaptation of her highly successful streaming series of the same name. What this woman has endured exemplifies cinema, and I couldn't have asked for a better guest. Brilliant, eloquent, talented. I'll let her speak for herself in this out-of-the-gate interview. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm a big fan of your blog. It's amazing. I've been addicted to it since I found out (laughs) about it. It's, It's thorough. Let's put it that way. It's not about like good or bad entertainment. It's about sometimes... The stuff is just made not even to, to entertain. There's no objective to entertain. It's just bad product. And you get people excusing it all the time going, well, it's so bad, it's good. No, no, no. Sometimes it's just really bad. And that's Jaws the Revenge. You know, that's, My that's how... Jaws the Revenge was I saw it at a very, very, very early age. It was the first scary movie I ever saw. I didn't know that it was a scary movie. So I thought it would be fun to watch. And... I immediately acquired obsessive compulsive disorder because I didn't want to lose any limbs. I was about and eight years old and I'm, I, I didn't want to step on the cracks because. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? I, I can get that because look, you were eight. So you didn't know any better, right? I didn't know that his arm was stuffed into his uh, shirt and that it was really obvious. I'm talking about the first <laughs> scene. Well, because yeah. I saw it again, and it's like, they're not even trying to make it look like right. his arm is stuffed into his shirt. <laughs> right, they're not even trying. When I saw it, I was little. It was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit about you. I, I mean, I always, you know, I, I talk about in interviews and stuff, the, the movie that made me want to make movies was Jaws. So how does this little girl, you know, in America decide suddenly, you know, she wants to make movies? Was it something you wanted to do? Uh, Did you stumble into this? I mean, how did you get to where you are? Well, I always wanted to be an actress. And then when I was in high school, I decided I wanted to be a screenwriter. And that was all I ever really wanted to do. But as I got further and further into it, I ended up being a director. Because I needed the job done and I needed it done right. So all of a sudden, I'm actually a director. It was never planned, but that's my job now. It was it was surprising because I was hiring people to do jobs and they weren't I had they had to be told what to do. And, you know, um, I would hire someone to do the cinematography and they had studied it and uh, knew how to do it. And I knew nothing about cameras or cinematography. And all of a sudden I'm telling them exactly how to shoot a scene and where the camera needs to be. And I think that was one of the frustrating days. I, I was like, are you are you kidding me? I have to tell you where to put the camera. I'm, I'm not. I'm not dealing with that person anymore. But I was. I was kind of like, why? I mean, that that's kind of a. I even. I think as a director, you shouldn't have to tell people the camera goes here for the shot to look like this. It wasn't anything complicated. Right. So like a shot, reverse shot kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So my question Actually, to you no, is. I'm sorry. I take that back. It was a jump scare. Oh. Okay. Uh, but I, those are kind of easy to do. I, I don't want to. I don't. I mean, it's like 
I think I think people when they shoot, I think a lot of people I've encountered um, DPs about a jump scare. They're they they're not used to it because they're expecting the music or sound, and it's like sure. no, you're not going to hear the music or the sound. That goes in later. You have to shoot this, and you know you know the person's there, but nobody else does. You have to shoot it like you don't know the person standing there. <laughs> oh. And then um you know in camera effects, like I wanted to make it seem that someone gets in a car and you and then all of a sudden a person manifests in the car in the in the passenger seat and i was like okay here's how you do it you already have the person in the car you have them bent over in the passenger seat you show that the seat is empty and have the uh, driver walk around the front of the car so you show that it's empty you you get the passenger seat out of frame you have the person get in the car and then Somewhere along the way, the person has sat upright and makes it look like they've been sitting there forever. So then when they get in the car and they see someone, later we add the boom. Um, and it's a huge surprise. I, I, somehow that's the most complicated thing in the world to explain to someone. And uh, I think it's easy. I, I mean, maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe people are going to listen to this and be like, I have no idea what she's talking about. But okay, if, if you're a DP, you should know exactly. You what I'm should talking. know. We're fighting daylight, and I have to tell you what a jump scare is. Oh, my God. My, the guy I'm working with now, who, who's my DP, we both sit around and watch movies and take notes on the movies. You know, we're nerds about it. Like, I'll rewind the scene because I like the way it's edited. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, there's this, this constant, constant, absor constantly absorbing information. Really obvious stuff. So you have people who come out of film school, and they haven't looked at films that way. And... Uh, you know, and so, you know, I, I come in, I'm going, I know all this and I didn't go to film school. Um, I, I just think it's laziness because I've seen it in all generations. I've worked with people of all ages. What are your thoughts on on basically not just a generation, but a society out there that that just is ignorant to to the fundamentals of, of film and they don't know what they're critiquing? And, and they just, but they think they do because here it is. The bottom line is because they think they have WordPress and, and a blog, they're a reviewer. Or because they think they have a prosumer camera and Final Cut Pro, they're a filmmaker. Okay, I think this all started with the YouTube series, Everything Wrong With Blank. That's where this started. And if you watch those as a filmmaker, you're sitting there going, that's actually not a problem. Everything, they, every other, I mean, it, occasionally they get something right, but everything they say, you're sitting there and you're going, well, that's not, that's not a problem with the movie. I mean, and they call everything a plot hole. And it's like, that's not a plot hole. Do you, do you even know what a, they don't know what a plot hole is. And that's what started it. And I mean, you hear those, that, that, that everywhere you go. Now, someone came up with a, a similar channel where they, kind of talk about what's wrong with movies, but they do it in an affectionate way. They're doing, we love movies, and we love that they messed up in this movie and caused a black hole and nobody fell into it. And, oh, we love that this happened. Whereas um, the everything wrong with, they'll be like, they created a black hole. This movie sucks. And it's attitude. I think it's okay to critique a film as long as you're appreciative of everything that's gone into it and you're having fun. And... Um, but when you're nasty about it, and I believe, I truly believe that's what started it. Uh, people weren't doing that before those, those, um, what do you call them? Episodes before those episodes came out. I think that that's where it all comes from. There, there's a big difference in looking at something like, you know, for me growing up, you know, you looked at something and you said, okay, well, I, you know, for example, let, let's just put the cards on the table with Jaws. The mechanical shark is not the most convincing special effect in the world. However, we have fantastic human performances, deft direction and editing, 
we we look past that because it's entertainment. It's entertaining to us, and we love it, and we have an affection for it. But now you have well, we should go back and we should we should CGI the shark because you know sharks don't have jowls and they uh, you know they this thing moves so clunky and it's stiff and it doesn't work right. Then they call these effects or these movies dated, and that's a cynical term because everything is dated. So do we go back and do we remake The Godfather because it took place in, originally in the 1940s? Um, do we update that now because everything is dated? So I guess we have to update Gremlins because. Quite frankly, when I saw Gremlins in theaters as a kid, I thought the the little things looked pretty puppety and fake anyway. In fact, they they kind of look like lesser Muppets than what the Muppets were doing. But it was an entertaining story, so I loved it. Today, an Everything's Wrong With series would attack all of that and say, well, you know, the, the, they're obviously puppets and they're they're not very animated and they're not very detailed and blah, 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 blah. And that creates a cynical attitude toward what we watch where we just are being conditioned to to pretty much fucking hate everything. What what were you up against in getting into this and then lead us, you know, right up to where you know the problems that you've been having? Okay, well, originally I was um trying to hire people to be the director. It wasn't until later when actresses uh, you know, very 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 successful actresses came in um from LA and New York that they were telling me, "No, you're actually the director here." And I was going, but but he's supposed to be the director. And like, no, 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 no. You're the one directing it. Both men and women don't like a woman being in charge. They hate it. And the most recent experience was making this girl-girl scene movie. I remember the very first day. It changed immediately the next day. But um, there was one time where I was talking to the actress and the DP was talking to the actress at the same time. And she had to listen to one of us. And she looked at me first. And then she looked to him. She deferred to him. And I was like, well, oh, no. <laughs> That's an example, though, of what I have to deal with all the time. And then there's sort of resentment from people who've never worked with me. I've had a, a bit of success, and especially when you compare it to other people. And so there's this immediate takedown of all the things that women are accused of. Uh, you know, th there have been actual, like, nonprofit commercial ads that say, you know, you're calling little girls bossy. That's a good thing. Stop using that as, as a bad thing against women. Um, so all these negative things that are actually positive traits that I'm taking over and I'm in charge and I, I know what to do. A lot of people don't like that because as a society, we're conditioned to only want to listen to men. And then if a woman comes along, it's like, well, who does she think she is? We, we need to put her in her place. I will make one exception. A lot of people just think the person with the camera who's saying action and cut is the director. That's just a natural thing. If, if you don't know film and you don't know what's going on, you just naturally sort of think that. Uh, so that, that's the other problem. That has nothing to do with being a woman. I, I will make that exception. You embark. You're, you're an actress. You, you get into directing. How did Girl Girl Scene come about? Um, what was your vision for this? You know, how do you identify yourself? Um, and I, I, I sent an email to you about that in which, you know, I, I said, you know, for example, is, is Steven Spielberg known as a, a great Jewish filmmaker? Is he just a filmmaker? And, you know, have you had the labels applied to you? Um, and, and, and have they been tried, you know, to use that against you or marginalize you? Yes and no. I've had so many people be positive and give me awards for being a gay filmmaker. 
but then I've had, I've heard, they never say it to my face. I've heard people going, oh, she's just making gay stuff. And I want to be like, yeah, I'm making gay stuff that people are watching. You know, I, but <laughs> the people who say that, they're making this very generic stuff that I, I feel like I've, I have, uh, somebody called me a Cassandra because I'm like saying, what you do is you find a niche. Uh, you've, you have to find a thing that nobody else is doing and make that. And I'm telling everyone this. This is a secret, folks. Find a need that needs to be fulfilled. And nobody listens to that. So I I like being called a gay filmmaker because I think that's an awesome thing. And there aren't many. Um, I, I I like that I'm a woman in this industry. It's hard. I mean, it's like at least twice as hard being a woman. I mean, oh, it's hard. You're just not taken as seriously. But I think that applies to any profession. I was a meteorologist before I did this. And, you know, people consistently called me a weather girl. And I, I mean, I would say, no, I'm a meteorologist. And they were like, they'd be like, they still to this day are like, yeah, a weather girl. Well, you know, first off, I'm, I'm a grown woman. The other thing is I, I have a, I'm a degreed, a scientist. So you don't call a scientist a weather girl. Uh, nothing wrong with being a weather girl, but it's just, you're dismissed that way. No meteorologist is ever called a weather boy. That's just not a word that exists, even though I'm, I'm sure there have been plenty of weather boys who were doing the weather and didn't have a degree. It, it doesn't exist because there's this immediate respect for men. I kind of I kind of want to be angry that this is a film thing. But when I think back on my life, it's everywhere I've been. This is something I've encountered. So you go from all of this. Where What was the, the start for Girl Girl scene and the evolution toward a feature? And then we'll get into, of course, the the pushback, the issues with Amazon. And, and everything that you've been fighting as a filmmaker. And I know that you had said that you, you see a lot of, of your life in this, which, you know, all good filmmakers do inject, you know, their point of view and, and their feelings into their work. But where did it all come from? And, and how did it lead to the present issues that, that you're having right now? It came with, I had to make this. There was a show out there that I wanted to see so desperately and it didn't exist. So I had to make it and I had to be in it this isn't something that i could have gone oh yeah someone else go make it go make my dream come true no i had to be in this thing and uh you know it, it caught on right away immediately i thought five thousand people were gonna watch yeah. it on youtube i mean i would have been happy with that but instead it it, it became it became <laughs> it became girl girl scene it became this other thing and um the idea of tucky williams became this other thing that was separate from me it, it just got huge in this way I never ever ever could have imagined and uh so I made that and then I made a second season of it and then um and then uh well and then some stuff happened that that uh really well okay let's get into this um so it all came out and then um something kind of not not to me but with the people who were making girl girl scene something kind of rapey happened and I'm using the word rapey because I don't know that anything actually happened. Okay. But I know that I, I started calling people out and saying, like drawing a hard line, like we're not negotiating on this. Like this guy, like it's all actresses. So I felt like I had to protect them. And I said, this guy is not coming around my, my women at all. Like no negotiation. And apparently rapey men don't like being called out. I didn't know they, they, they tend to shy away from that. <laughs> and so it, it, it meant that everything immediately ground to a halt for me. 
But I'm amazed that, you know, two years later, I had another series come out that did really, really well. And, and I'm amazed because it was made on zero budget and everybody was working for free practically. So, uh, you know, to have something hit you that hard, to have to be taken from going really, really, really successful and just building momentum like crazy and then you lose it all. This wouldn't have happened today with Me Too. People are more careful and they're more used to it now. So if the same thing had happened, everybody would have paid attention. Tell people mm -hmm. listening, what was in your head? What did you need to make that you needed to see that that wasn't being made? I didn't see lesbians um, in a sexual way that uh, embraced lesbian sexuality and embraced uh, the dark side of being gay. And it was all, and still is, gay people are presented in this really positive way. I use Modern Family as an example, and I love Modern Family. I watch every episode. I, I love that show to death. But that couple is kind of asexual and very family-friendly. And I wanted to go in the opposite direction and terrify people. I wanted to be like, this is happening in your neighborhood. You know, this is, this is in small town America that this is going on. And, uh, and you know, I wanted to show um, sex as it really existed as a political statement. Wow. So not as just like the, the sex acts as political statements as like, because it's never depicted properly. It's always this weird kind of thing. And I wanted the, to show the description of how it's depicted the, the, the opposite of what you were trying to do. What is the, the, the way that it's usually depicted? The way it's usually depicted um, is very, very feminine women who have no spark and no passion and no like, oh, I've got to get in here and we've got to get down. And I mean, I've shot, I mean, I made movies with feminine women, so that's not the issue. It's just sort of this, I, the issue is that uh, people like this idea of both people being feminine and there weren't any androgynous or butch women. And that's a thing that actually happens in real life. <laughs> I needed to show that that was happening. And I mean, it's with feminine women too, but it's both. But I wasn't, see I was just seeing this, oh, we're kissing and isn't it romantic and we're going to fade away into montage where we're making love and it's so beautiful. And I kind of wanted to show this kind of like uh, really intense, uh, you know, something is that we didn't show it, but you can tell exactly what's happening. And I wanted it's stuff people haven't seen before. And I wanted people to be like, oh, okay, I'm uncomfortable, but I guess that's what's going on. Uh, I think people think that like lesbians just go down on each other in this really beautiful way and there's really beautiful music playing. But like I well, said- Well, that, that's, what, that's what Howard Stern has also painted. You know, he, he likes his lesbians a certain way and, and his audience, he has kind of painted a certain picture of this. The Stern show was the only place where I could look to see lesbians on TV when I was young. We're talking about pornography here. That's not what I'm making, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about pornography. So I consider, oh, okay. you know, um, these old VHS tapes from the late 90s, or I guess mid 90s, I don't know, to be the golden age of porn. I do. And that was where Howard Stern, he was, he was involved with that at the time. And they were, at that time, showing women uh, screwing in a more passionate way. There was this performer, Janine Linda Mulder, and she was getting down and dirty, and uh, it was very realistic. They don't do that anymore. Uh, I don't know, I don't <laughs> really, but you know, I was young and I was trying to figure things out. I mean, I knew I was a lesbian and everything, but um, 
I, uh, so I, Howard Stern actually helped me quite a bit because he was actually talking to lesbians and interviewing them. <laughs> and uh, nobody else was doing that, was interviewing lesbians about sex and what it's like. So I want to give him credit. Howard Stern provided an avenue is what you're saying. Absolutely. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't had, if <laughs> it hadn't been for Howard Stern, I wouldn't know stuff. I, I, I met Janine later and I, <laughs> I was, I snuck into a strip club and I met her and I said, I, I said, you taught me how to have sex. I wish I, oh, someone had had a video camera, the look on her face. She hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> that was dirty. You had to get a dirty movie to see that. And I wanted to convey that same sense of, okay, uh, it's dirty like this, but you don't, you don't actually have to watch pornography. Pornography is actually kind of boring. I studied pornography. Yeah. College. Don't ask me how I did that, but I pulled that off. And um, so the thing is, it's kind of the, the one of the things I learned is that it's really boring to watch. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through the development of that series, getting it out there, and then of course, you know, turning that in into the film and and leading us right into the issues uh, that you've experienced. Okay, so I the first episode came out. It was just called the pilot, and it. I mean, women went crazy. The lesbian community went crazy. This was when Tumblr was big. It was all over Tumblr. The only problem was that people weren't watching it. Uh, people didn't know about it. But, um, and, you know, it got labeled a web series because when it came out, there weren't streaming services. So nobody knew what to call it. But we had these 40-minute episodes. It, it was a legitimately a television series, just like um, Stranger Things or Ozarks or anything on Netflix. But nobody knew what to call it. So it kind of was dismissed as a web series because even though it was on a streaming network, just nobody knew what the heck it was. So that came out and it it was very, very popular, but you couldn't get we couldn't get enough people to watch it because it was streaming and people were still watching TV. And then the second season came out and it was the same thing. And then um then then, you know, that thing happened. And then uh I made I made the other series two years later, Dagger Kiss. Mm -hmm. And for, and it that was no budget, man. And that was that was wonderful in it in the way that it was, but it was also I would say it was sort of like a kids series. It was very simple and very simply done and um but it was very sincere. And anyway, it kind of didn't go anywhere, but then it got on Amazon and then everybody was watching it. You're making these things with no money, um, and you're making quality work with with no money. How do you get that? over to Amazon. Well, I submitted it to them and they took it and I couldn't believe it. Mm. I was like, what? <laughs> you want this? Like, what? And, and they took it and it started performing well. Uh, so then I took the girl girl scene episodes. I said, well, let's try this. And I submitted that and they had some issues with it because they thought it was um, salacious. They didn't know that. They didn't even know what that word meant in the emails I was sending them. You know, it went direct directly to Jeff Bezos. He was like, okay, it's okay. I, he watched it and he was like, it's okay. This isn't porno. That's how many people think that lesbians, um, you know, a show that has lesbian. I mean, it's it's about them. They're just, it's just their whole lives encompassed. And uh, just the show where girls are making out that it's pornography. So the interesting thing is, is you're, you're, you're building something up right here. And then you, you almost get the opposite in, in a lot of the comments that, that people are are raging about when when they finally do see it. So when the series came out on Amazon, it did well, but a lot of um, lesbians were offended. Well, a lot of people were offended that they were saying it was low budget. 
they were like, this is low budget, one star. Oh, okay. And then a lot of lesbians were offended because they didn't like the portrayal of lesbians. They wanted it to be modern family kind of lesbians. And we had, you know, drug addicts and, uh, you know, people, you know, alcoholics. And um, one of them was a prostitute, like a, like an escort. And mm-hmm. um, it just, they were real people. And we, I wanted, I wanted people to think about it. And I didn't want to present this happy image. So a lot of lesbians were leaving really angry reviews about it and giving it, you know, did anyone reach out to you, manage to reach out to you directly and give you this kind of feedback? Oh yeah. They were really angry. Give me an example. Oh, furious. Uh, that they, you're like, you're presenting this as the lesbian community. And I wanted to say, well, make your own damn TV show if you don't like it, but don't watch my thing and give me grief about it like <laughs> you just don't like it i mean this is real i i'm sorry if you don't like this and they were saying this isn't my life at all and i'm like well it's my life you know it's not my problem if it's not your life this is my life it was just i mean this would be like people watching jaws the revenge and going well no sharks ever bitten off my arm why are you rep- representing sharks like this it's just like what so now how do you what do you say in general to this Lately, this big thing of, of the outrage community uh, demanding remakes of Star Wars or Game of Thrones and, and trying to get petitions made to get the last you know season or last couple episodes done because they're saying just what you said. Well, that's not the way that I wanted it to be. Like they have some kind of ownership over your property. Well, what are your thoughts on that? The writers are laughing all the way to the bank. So, and all they're doing is uh, giving them more attention. You, you can't listen to people. If you listen to people, I think everything would be a happy ending and all the couples would get together. But um, I've read this uh, thing about writing is that you have to put your characters through hell. And if you listen to your audience, they want to, I mean, of course, you want to see everything turn out well and people have a good time. And uh, that doesn't work. If, if I made a show where everybody had a good time and nothing bad ever happened, oh, who would want to watch that? So I think, I think uh, they're, you know, again, I, I, I get on people because I actually studied writing extensively in college and you know there are people who just think they can write and some people can i think you have to earn it Uh, it's like being funny a lot of people just think they have a right to be a stand-up comic and be funny and that they have a right to judge comedy and like i'll tell you i i don't tell jokes because i'm not good at it uh, I don't sing because I'm not good at. Let me tell you, I would love to be good at singing, and I would love to be a stand-up comic, but I can't be. And so, you know, I I don't I don't think um people understand writing, and they think it's just this easy thing to sit down and do. And if you're really a writer, you fucking hate it. You fucking hate writing. You'll do anything yep. to keep from writing. You will procrastinate. You'll you'll yep. go to an amusement park. You'll stay up until 7 a.m. and not write a word. And that's how you know you're a writer. <laughs> and then you bitch because you don't have the time to write. And yet, you, like you just said, you just frittered and wasted half the day mm-hmm. avoiding writing. That's mm-hmm. what a writer does. That is what a writer does. You know, and I... I think people are always like, oh, you know, they want to talk to me during the day. I'm like, you don't understand the writing process, people. It's, I have to, it doesn't just come out. You have to think about it. You have to 
kind of have something going on in the background. Um, it's called, uh, Tina Fey, I think, coined it the shower principle, which is that if you kind of um, keep do some kind of busy work thing, like just to distract your mind, all these great ideas come to you. And I, I, when I heard that, I freaked out because all my great ideas come when I'm taking a shower. And you, so I think half the writing process is just sitting and thinking. And then, you know, we also have to watch TV and movies and read books. And that, that is, people see that as, oh, she's just watching a movie. She's not doing anything. And, but, you know, it goes back to, yeah, I mean, okay, I saw John Wick 3 three times because of the editing. So, I mean, people see it and go, oh, she's just going, spending all her time at the movies. Uh, <laughs> no, this is, this is my job, people. You know, people just think, oh, you just sit down and you write. That's all you do. And, well, what do you mean you didn't get a page done today? It's only a page. And, <laughs> and you know, you get that all the time. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you say, you have to put your characters through hell. I've got to do this. And, and what they're going to do in this, now I've got to structure this all out. And even sometimes it's just dialogue. And people just look at you and go, I, I don't see what the big deal is. Just, just write. Just write well, it out and get it done. end up writing terrible screenplays. And then they produce them. They, they're brilliant screenplay, and nobody watches it. If they somehow manage to get it made, it's terrible. You have oh, to yeah. study these people. You could be, what I was talking about with comedy or singing, you could be lucky enough, you know, to have this natural ability. But I think most people have to study it because you have to get things really, really, really wrong and be a really bad writer for a long time before you learn and get it together. And, and imagine that such a novel idea in a day and age of where we're not teaching children in school to skin their shins and dust themselves off if they fall down. Everything's got to be fantastic that we can't hurt their self-esteem. So, you know, you, what you just said, you, you can't have if we're telling everybody, well, everything you do is wonderful. It's like watching American Idol and, and the, the worst excuse you can hear somebody say is, well, my mother thinks I can sing great. Yeah, that's what your mother's supposed to tell you. Yes. yes. But, you know, American Idol makes it out like, well, you know, you can just get up, hold a high note for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and, uh, you know, tell your story that you're from, you know, a poor background, your mother died, whatever, you have two kids and you can't support them. And I guess that qualifies as being a singer. So all those people that are out there right now singing in dive bars, not getting paid at night and putting in their dues, you know, to work their way through to the top. Well, I guess they're doing it wrong. You just need to go on a, on a karaoke contest and, mm -hmm. and have somebody tell you you're getting a ticket to Hollywood. And that's the same thing with, well, that's what you do, right? I mean, you just write and, and all you got to do is do that. And, and it's that simple. And if, if Tucky Williams can do it, well, then I can do it. Right. If a woman can do it, that <laughs> must be easy. Exactly. If a woman can do this, nobody realizes just how goddamn hard stand-up comedy is. And, Those you know, people they are think, tortured. Those people right. are miserable. They, They're dark-hearted right. souls. Exactly. Exactly. And they think, oh, you know, they just go up there and they're funny. I can do that. I, you know, and then, so we have, you know, for a while we had Last Comic Standing and we have all this stuff and, and we have these nightclubs that open up now with, uh, you know, these impromptu uh, comedy clubs with open mic night and everybody thinks they can do it. And then some of them do find out when they get up there, it's like, oh shit, this is, this is actually hard and I'm kind of a jackass. But you do get the people that, that do come to you and say, well, I've just written this and it's going to be, I, I have the next Star Wars. And my answer is always, no, you don't. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> right. you don't. So then now these people, all these kind of people we're talking about that have no idea how movies are made. Um, they just think, well, you know, it happens. And, and part of my problem also with like behind the scenes DVDs. And stuff like that. And growing up with, with you know, deleted footage and showing is that I think Hollywood 
is like a magician that showed how the tricks are done. And now everybody thinks, oh, I know how that's done. And you can just do it this way. And, and I know exactly how they did that. And we don't have that sense of wonder anymore. We've become very cynical viewers. So you go through all this. You have people attack. Well, it's low budget and lesbians saying this is not the way that my life is. So and they're taking it out on you through these, quote unquote, reviews, which are really nothing more than comments. Mm -hmm. Which is no different than somebody sitting on a train looking across from you saying, hey, Tucky, I, I saw your uh, series. I didn't like it. it. That's not a review. That's an opinion. Mm -hmm. And then you get these people that think also, well, I'm just going to fuck her over. I'm just going to put one star up because, you know, I, I don't like that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a conservative Christian and, and this is just pushing the gay agenda. Uh, I'm going to do this because we have democratized the voice on the internet. And I've said this many, many times. Sometimes I'm going to sound like a total fascist here, but sometimes you can have too much democracy. And, you know, the people who do have a voice, some of them shouldn't be speaking, at least not with that amplified microphone. They, they should not be speaking because they're, they're talking about stuff that they just don't know about. They think they do. Well, look, you know, Tucky, uh, I, I, I love tornadoes. I, I think I could be a meteorologist. I, I can't tell you how many men have explained the weather to me. What happened with the whole Amazon debacle with the film? And most of all, these people going online and assailing you uh, because, again, they, they think they know everything. What have you endured with this? Okay, I, I just have to say never in my life did I think that this would happen to me. Never, ever, ever. So my editor, Mark Holmberg, and I were editing this for a really, really long time. And in the love scenes, we went out of our way to make them PG-13 rated. And, you know, we kept cutting stuff and going, no, this is, I mean, we were just going out of our way to take more and more and more out because we didn't want Amazon to, you know, we didn't want to have to go all the way to Jeff Bezos again because some lower level people think that it's pornography because women are kissing. So we're going out of our way. There's no nudity. It's very light. And I, I thought I was doing the right thing by doing that. The other thing is um, it's set in the 80s. And we made it look like a VHS tape. And the reviews are, this looks like an old movie. And I, I am so outraged by this. Uh, because they, they're upset that it looks like a VHS tape. When that's, and that it looks like an 80s movie. And, and oh, it's also a satire. Um, I didn't know this. Uh, nobody knows what a satire is. You're right. Nobody. Yeah, I, I thought that people knew that. And I even dropped a clue toward the end of the movie, like, in case you're confused, this is a satire where it's like, you kind of break the fourth wall a little bit. And she starts talking about um, 80s movies and pastiche and nostalgia. And I mean, that's the clue. And I realized nobody gets that clue. Smart people don't leave reviews because if they see a movie and they don't like it, they go, oh, or they're like me. They're like, oh, that just wasn't for me. I mean, I can name probably three films that I've said to people really don't watch this. Like, really, it's really, really, really bad. Like, really don't. I mean, I can, I can name them. But um, most of the time, if I see a movie don't, I don't like, I'm like, oh, I didn't like it. I made the comedy Garlic and Gunpowder. It had, um, it had Vivica Fox and uh, Michael Madsen and all these people in it. And I wanted it to be a tribute uh, to a lot of the, the, the uh, screwball comedy of the 1950s and 60s. And uh, one of the things that we did is I opted deliberately to shoot the car driving scenes against a green screen with rear projection, just uh -oh. like they used to in the old days. Uh -oh. And the, 
Big yeah. mistake. Big mistake. You get people online going, and they didn't even have the budget to, it, it looks like they're driving in front of a green screen. Well, that's because they are. The mm-hmm. whole tribute to that era of filmmaking, no different than when Sean Connery was driving his Aston Martin in front of a projected screen. Like, and they act like it's a stylistic choice. They act like, oh, you didn't have the budget. Like people think they know everything. It, dude, it's cheaper to shoot it regularly than it is yeah. to put and do all the posts and pay somebody to rotoscope and do right. all of that stuff to, to, to key everything out. No, I did it as a stylistic choice. And people don't understand it. They don't understand satire. They don't even understand style anymore because they become so literal. Okay. Everything has to be spoon fed to them and telegraphed to them. And if it isn't, they don't get it. And then these people are the ones that take to IMDB. They're the ones who take to making the comments. They're the ones who drive those scores down because the people who like it go, well, I really liked it, but they never think, well, I should go and write a positive review about this. The positive ones never go online. It's it's the ones that, like you said, that feel now they have to go tell the world how smart they are because they have to be the smartest person on the comments section. Okay, so it, like you said, it would have been much easier to make a movie set in the present day that looked like a, a normal movie, just straightforward and boring, mm-hmm. honestly. Instead, we went out of our way to make it look like the 80s, and that, that was infuriating people because they had no idea. They were just like, this looks cheap. This looks inexpensive. It looks old. Like, oh my god, it's called camp, and we're going for it. They they don't know what camp is, and uh, you know, like the jokes are those '80s kind of jokes, and those are harder to write than regular jokes. Like to write a really painful joke that makes you groan is way, way, way harder. And they're going, oh, and the joke, and the jokes are so bad. It, it was harder to write that. I was in pain. I would have to run it past people and be like, is this okay? Because I've really taken this <laughs> into really bad jokes. And But, you know, it's funny. It, it's funny and it's entertaining when you realize, hey, this chick wrote an 80s movie. Like, it's so lame. And, you know, and in the end, everybody just makes up and they become friends for no reason whatsoever. Which Which is like the thing, like in Top Gun, you know, like... Nobody has learned anything. You've just magically in the end become friends again. You know, and they're saying that's bad writing. I'm going, um, you just missed the entire point. It's to- but you know, it's totally okay if someone didn't like this movie. But I, here's what I've concluded is that a, at least half the audience of Stranger Things doesn't understand that it's set in the 80s. Like they see the, you know, Starcourt Mall and the crazy hair and it just means nothing to them. They're like, well, that's weird hair. Or they see, you know, Scoops Ahoy and those weird sailor outfits. And they're just like, huh? They, they, they just don't get it. Okay, so that, that was the first wave was people hating it because they said it's low budget. And it looked cheap. So, and, and that the writing was, you know, the way it was. Um, and then, so, okay, that was, oh, you know, you're, I'm just used to people being stupid. But then all of a sudden, these men started leaving reviews that said it was horrible because it wasn't pornography. I mean, I, I honestly don't know what to say to you because I still, I still can't make any sense of it. I'm, I'm just like, you know, if what you want is pornography, go anywhere else. There is an abundance of it. Like, you don't need to be angry because you went to this one place and there wasn't any. So they were watching five minutes of it and saying, this isn't porno, I'm giving it one star. And then they, this one guy watched five minutes 
he said, he, I mean, he said, I watched five. He, oh, no, he said, I watched 15 minutes. I couldn't take it anymore. And he left a seven paragraph review. They, they, ta- they say bizarre things. One said it promoted Marxism. And, one, and then they said it was anti-Trump. And I'm like, what? I, I don't even know where this is coming from. It's actually kind of the other way. One of the things I thought that would be a big shock to people is, oh, here's a shocking thing. Some gay people are conservative. <gasps> oh, oh, you know, I'm good. You know, <laughs> so I wanted to have a gay conservative. And the joke is like her girlfriend is basically calling her a monster for being a conservative. But then in this very affectionate way, the the conservative girl calls her girlfriend a Marxist. But it's like cute. She's like, oh, you know, you little Marxist. And then they were saying that it promoted Marxism. And I'm like, if anything, it promotes people's right to be conservative. And also, there's no mention of Donald Trump at all. Like, at all. But I mean, oh. I'm just saying that if you're, if you're talking about this movie politically, you would actually say it goes the other way because it presents a point of view that's never been presented. I've never seen presented before anywhere, which is a gay conservative. So if anything, anything, it goes that direction. And then these guys were furious that it wasn't pornography and that it was um, anti-Trump and promoted Marxism. And it didn't. There were just, it was like, where are you even coming up with that? I think they just, I don't, I, I don't know what to say. These people take to the comment section of your work and then assail you publicly and then drive that down. Okay. So they drive the rating down. They drive it down on IMDB. They drive mm-hmm. it down on, on Amazon. So what does Amazon do? Uh, they said they, they got rid of it. They just, uh, they just deleted it one day. And, um, it was really obvious that the, and then, so they said it was due to poor customer feedback. But if you look at the customer feedback, it's homophobic and uh, sexist. I mean, that's all it is. Did Amazon notify you in writing uh, no. and say, listen, we're taking this down? No, they just pulled it one day. I wouldn't have even known about it if I hadn't uh, checked it. I just happened to check it that day and I saw that it was removed. And um, But the thing is that even with those, like, even though they tried to one-star bomb it, still had two and a half stars. And there are plenty of one-star movies on Amazon. So. Yeah. It's very suspicious that they chose to take down my movie. I I, I don't get that at all. I, I, there, there were very odd things here. Another thing is people were writing to me saying that they had left uh, good reviews on Amazon and on IMDb. People were like in tears saying, I, you know, I submitted my review. It didn't show up. And um, so all these good reviews were being rejected. And people would write to Amazon and say, why is my review being rejected? And, you know, they wouldn't get a response. So it, it was weird. It was like only the bad reviews were going through. Mm-hmm. I wrote to IMDb and I said, here's what's happening. And they were like, no, 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 no. We have an algorithm to stop that. And I said, well, what do you do? Well, what if um, some of these white separatists start complaining about Schindler's List? I was like, what do you do? I mean, I was sincerely asking. They had nothing to say to me. And now it has two stars on IMDb. And I mean, I've said I've said even if even if you hated this movie, I mean it's not that bad. <laughs> First off, it's good, but it's good. Forget about that. Let's just say it wasn't. It's not that bad. Oh my god. Um, just they really, I really believe that there's some message board somewhere or two or three, and they said this movie's horrible. It's uh, tempting men. It's trying to trick men. Uh, 
because it's porn and um, it's just trying to spread a liberal agenda, which it wasn't. It's trying to spread a liberal social justice warrior agenda and we need to do everything we can to stop this. I never thought anyone would complain that I was not making pornography. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did you write Amazon yourself and did you ever hear anything? Because now you said it's reappeared. So let's go to that. Did you, did you write them? I wrote to Jeff and I wrote to Amazon PR and uh, I got a response from Amazon PR and they said, we'll look into it. And I was like, okay. And then they just sent me like every other day, they'd send me just a bizarre message. Like one time they were like, this email isn't associated with the account. We need to have the email associated with the account. And I'm going, why? You're, you're like talking to me right now. So, you know, I gave them the email associated with account. That's two more days. And then it was like, oh, we need more. They were like, we don't know which reviews are the bad reviews you're talking about. And I'm going, oh, just your, it's, can you look at your own website? <laughs> like, it's like, and then it just kept going on and on. And then so I contacted After Ellen, which is, uh, you know, it had gone on for, I think four weeks. So I contacted after Ellen and I said, um, this is what's going on. And the editor in chief, Memory Joel, she took this up as her cause. She investigated it. She talked to Amazon and they did the exact same thing to her. They're like, oh, we're going to look into it. We'll look into it. Oh, and then they were like, we, can you tell, they said to her, which reviews are you talking about? And I, I, so she came back to me. I said, that, that's insane. They can look at their own review page. And she said, Tucky, just send them to me. So I got on my phone and took screenshots of every single review. And of course, they're endless. Because like I said, I believe that somebody was saying, you need to go on here and leave a bad review. So I took all these screenshots on my phone. And she forwarded them to Amazon. And then they didn't say anything. So then she published the article. And I, I didn't publish Jeff's email, but I published the private Amazon PR email. And I said, uh, if you don't like this, write to the Amazon, P- write to this email address. And so, oh, God, God bless these people, all my fans. And even some people who weren't fans, like some people just heard about it. And so this is outrageous. They, everybody emailed Amazon. I can't believe you can't get anybody to do anything, you know, and all these <laughs> wonderful people were taking their time who, you know, you know, they were just saying, this isn't right. We don't like this. This is, this is horrible. You know, this, this shouldn't be a movie shouldn't be taken down because angry men are frustrated that it wasn't pornography. And so many, so that's been the one good thing about this is that I've seen just this wonderful aspect of human nature. Yeah, it's been almost like it's it's a wonderful life moment for you. <laughs> yeah, so many people wrote to them. I think they just couldn't handle it anymore. So one day I, I came I came home. I, I had been um, out and I came home at about midnight and someone wrote to me and said, your movie's back up. And it was like, (laughs) I went and checked on every different device I have and I made it play and it was back up and Amazon has never written to me or said anything, Uh, you know, it's it's just back up all of a sudden. So have those negative comments started again? Oh, they, they left all the hate comments up and I will say that they are hate comments. They're not negative comments. They're actual hate. It is like Nazi talk. This is this is not, this is really horrible stuff they're saying. And all of this stuff is still published on Amazon. And and that's, that's one of the things I've learned. And that is, 
you just don't read the comments. You just don't. Whether they're good or bad, you just don't. Uh, but with this case, I had a responsibility to read them because it was actual hate. I had an ethical responsibility to read all this. And I mean, if you go through it and read it all, you feel you feel contaminated. It's disgusting. It's like it, it goes into your system. And they're not even watching the movie. <laughs> right. And on top of it, they're not even watching it. I do, I do think there's a message board somewhere, you know, or a few where they're really organizing and coming after me, which is insane. I'm like this really sweet girl. <laughs> I just want to make <laughs> these really sweet little drama comedies about, you know, girls. And, and it's like, this is happening. On what? <laughs> Has this come to anybody's attention to come to your defense? No, because here's, here's the thing is it's not, nobody's really into supporting lesbians. That's kind of like on the lowest rung. Absolutely nobody's interested in it. They, um, it's just, I think, I think it's, uh, you're just supposed to call yourself queer or non-binary. Like all those words are cool, but to actually just be a lesbian, to make the statement that um, you actually don't want to sleep with men, you know, unequivocally, people really, really, really don't like hearing that. They want you to be like, oh, I'm pansexual. And they, uh, it, I'm going to get in trouble for this. It's fine to be pansexual. It's fine to be non-binary. Whatever that is fine with me. What I don't like is that it's not okay to state unequivocally that you're not interested in men. I mean, Harrison, Harrison, you can you're allowed to say that, right? I'm not interested you, in guys. And last people, time I checked, yes, you are allowed yeah, to say that. That's an okay thing. But apparently, women are not allowed to say that. You have to say you're on the spectrum. Or, you know, and basically it, you're allowed to say anything that leaves it as an open possibility. And so the fact that none of my characters, that they're all lesbians and, and that that's what I'm putting out there is people just, they just don't want to have anything to do with it. Whatever you want to say, especially to the people out there, not the ones that left the hateful comments, but to those who think they understand art, film, whatever, what do you have to say to that crowd? You mean the people who leave the reviews that are negative but aren't hate? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Um, uh, shut up. Just shut up. I mean, I, you know, just shut up. I don't think there's any getting through to them. And I think, okay, I'll, I'll reach out to someone who maybe you could, okay, I'll say this, someone you could get through to who is saying these negative things. I would say that such a thing exists as a movie you don't like, and that's okay. And um, like I said, there are three movies in my life of watching thousands of movies that I think are terrible. If, if it falls into one of those categories and you really actually want to warn people not to watch it, okay, then you can bash a movie. But everything else is just a movie that you don't like. And it's just not for you. Yeah. Oh, oh, this, it's great. This critic, actually, this is an actual film critic, like paid to write for a newspaper. Um, it was Winnie the Pooh came out and it was a one word review and it said childish. It's like, maybe this just isn't for you. Like the dagger kiss thing was this kind of, kind of like this cheesy medieval sci-fi fantasy thing that was very self-aware that it was what it was and people were going this this is kind of hokey and you know it's like this was made for a very specific audience and maybe it's just not your thing like don't watch medieval sci-fi fantasy movies if if you're not into it uh, you know 
I don't get, you know, I love movies. I, I love them. That's why I'm doing this. Movies are a wonderful thing. Um, there's this saying, when the lights go down, we're all the same. I mean, I have actually, I watch movies and I actually look at the people who sit next to me and I start crying. This has actually happened because I realized that we come from all different walks of life. I'll never understand what their lives are like and they'll never understand what my life is like. And we're sitting there in the theater and we're all the same person. We're we're in a magical place having this wonderful experience. And this is this universal thing that we all have in common. And movies can do that to us. They can unite us and bring us together and inspire us like nothing else. And that's what cinema is about. And we need to hold that and cherish it. And if you're on the receiving end of this hate and this negativity, we, we have to remember what we're doing is we, we're making the world a better place because we're reaching out to people and we're giving them something beautiful. Well, Freddie Mercury said, what they want is a taste of the heavens, right? And that's what I want. I want people to see girl, girl scene and go, oh my God, that's my life. Oh, that's my life. Yes. Or I want them to see dagger kiss and go, oh, it's girls in corsets and dresses with incredibly long hair and there is nothing else I want to see except that. I don't care what the plot is or anything else. I just love this medieval thing and thank you for making something that I love to watch. And that's what it's about, is inspiring people and giving them this beautiful experience. And so if that's what you're doing, nothing else matters. Head on over to iTunes and give me a like and review, and if you want to read my cinema blog, you'll find it at horrorfuel.com forward slash author forward slash Harrison. If you like this podcast, and if you're an aspiring filmmaker making your way through the independent film Minefield, I offer one-on-one coaching sessions by phone or Skype. Email me at this site or classof85llc at gmail.com for information and pricing. I offer input on your completed or in-development film or screenplay and offer insight into all aspects of pre-production, production, production, and post, and eventual distribution. Hope to hear from you.